the way this is playing out is so depressing. I'm glad that I can have a little bit of distance from it, having secured that German passport and some sense of security. I say sorry a lot. <laughs> um, it's, it's embarrassing and it's sad. It is time for the British people to have their say. It is time for us to settle this question about Britain and Europe. As we leave the European Union, we will forge a bold, new, positive role for ourselves in the world. But the EU insists that you can't be in some of its institutions and not in others. Ministers have admitted they're also planning to stockpile critical supplies like medicines and food. We blinked and suddenly Brexit is less than three months away. That came up fast. And still there's no clarity on what exactly Britain's exit from the European Union is going to look like. What is clear is that no one seems happy. That's right. Some Brexiteers say the deal on the table doesn't go far enough to fulfil the promise of taking back control from the EU. Meanwhile, many young Remainers feel shafted by an older generation that voted overwhelmingly for Brexit and won't live with the implications for long. Then, across the pond, there's the Europeans who think any move to leave a union originally designed to foster peace after war is a rash and dangerous decision. So... Is it lunacy? Germany certainly thinks so, and so do pretty much all of the Brits living here. We're back. Welcome to season two of Europe Today. This time around, we're bringing you episodes every other week to explain some of the biggest issues facing the continent. I'm Claire Richardson, a journalist and lecturer at the University of Melbourne in Australia. And I'm Rebecca Ritters, a presenter and reporter at Germany's international broadcaster Deutsche Welle. Today's episode, the Brexit debacle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any day now, the British Parliament is going to vote on a deal that Prime Minister Theresa May secured with the EU. She says the alternative is no deal at all, and that could result in total chaos. So how on earth did we get here? Let's start with the basics of what EU membership actually does for Britain. For starters, freedom of movement, post-war unity, and the trade benefits of being in the single market. For nearly 30 years, British citizens, like people from all EU countries, have been allowed to live and work in any country in the Union. That means you can have a Spanish passport and go open a juice bar in London, or go swan around in Berlin as a Brit. Now with the risk of losing that ability, record numbers of Brits in Germany are taking up German citizenship. The German Statistics Office says more than 7,000 people became citizens in 2017, up from just 600 in 2015. Some are even people whose grandparents went in the other direction. I'm going to start recording. Okay. My name's Hannah Cleaver. I have been living in Berlin since May of 1999. My mother's father, Robert Fuchs, he and a few of his family who were Jews living in the Sudetenland, which very swiftly after Hitler came to power, um, became part of Germany. He and a few people managed to get out. He was in a concentration camp for a short while up the road from here in Sachsenhausen um, and then managed to get out um, of the German Reich on a Red Cross visa to the UK. And when I told my mother that I was going to become German, she was actually really pleased and is a very big pro-European um, but she then sent me his certificate of naturalization, and it was on the 31st day of December 1946. Um, this certificate of naturalization even includes his oath of allegiance to the UK. And um, you've just gone and unpicked all that. <laughs> which I've gone and unpicked all that, yeah. And he says in 1946, he swore 
I, Robert Fox, swear by Almighty God that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to His Majesty King George VI, his heirs and successors according to law. So I went in and became German um, with that in my back pocket, feeling actually surprisingly emotional about it in a really positive way. And I had to um, swear allegiance to the Federal Republic of Germany <laughs> that same day. She said she felt very emotional about what progress Germany had made. Two generations ago, they were murdering my family and managed to murder quite a lot of them. Um, and two generations later, I'm coming back and I'm very happy to become a citizen of Germany. At a ceremony in a dusty tower block in East Berlin, Hannah received her certificate of citizenship. I sat there in tears all the way through. And it's not my thing at all. I'm totally anti-nationalist of any nation. And I had this thing from my grandfather with me and I really wanted to go up and say, congratulations, Germany, you've become a civilised nation. And I had all these things I wanted to say and I couldn't say a word because I was in tears the whole time. I had to go home. <laughs> okay. I'm Titus Chalk and I've been living in Berlin for eight years. I'm a writer and freelance journalist. I don't know if I feel uh, 100% German, but I'm not sure I feel 100% British anymore either. You know, I'm making a decision here about my identity and I've actually learned a lot that's been really valuable to me while I've been in Berlin. So if I'm going to add another sort of string to my bow in terms of who I am. I'm very glad that it's um, German citizenship and I'm very glad that it's Berlin. And I, mean, I think particularly in the last two years we've seen um, Germany's role in just kind of upholding a liberal you know, world order, a European order, and that to me is actually really important. I mean, it was really Brexit that triggered all this and so I started out in a very pragmatic frame of mind, right, I've just got to do this because... Yes, on one level I want to remain European, but I also want the freedom that goes with living and working wherever I want. I have had the opportunity to travel a couple of times now with my German passport, and actually that, that kind of felt kind of exciting. And, you know, daft as it may sound, there's even like these embossed European stars on the back of the passport, and I kind of rubbed those with some glee as I was going through customs, because that's what it's all about for me, to have that preserve my European identity. A large part of the ideals of the Union are an open society that encourage community and cooperation over nationalism. And a lot of the people here in Germany are very afraid to see what this is going to mean for the entire European experiment. They say when they go back to the United Kingdom, they're embarrassed by their own country. To see the complete failure of politics domestically in the UK at the moment is, is horrifying. And on the occasions I've travelled back um, since the referendum, it was very hard not to feel like I was visiting a diminished country that is only going to become more diminished as that sort of insularity post-Brexit kicks in. And what I hate is this sense of game-playing and, you know, tactical... Uh, using no deal, the threat of no deal as leverage to try and get the uh, May's deal through Parliament is just so reckless and irresponsible. But, I mean, that's that's really the hallmark of the whole Brexit process. I mean, it was just the whole future of the country is being held hostage by Tory vanity. Um, and that's what the referendum project was in the first place. David Cameron thinking he could, he had the authority to outflank the right wing of his party. And we're all paying the price for that. So why did people vote for Brexit in the first place? 
Well, nationalism played a huge role. The threat, perceived or otherwise, of losing a national identity. For a long time, Brits have felt in some ways less European than other members of EU countries. They're not on the continent, they're out there isolated on an island. They'd kept their own currency, the pound, and in many ways kept the European Union at an arm's length. Dissatisfaction with the European Union has a long pedigree in this country. I mean, if you wanted to be very long term about it, you could say that doubts about European integration predated our membership. That's Anand Menon, a professor of European politics and foreign affairs at King's College London. He co-authored a book called Brexit and British Politics. The, the obvious example, I suppose, is when they created the common market, we didn't join because we had our doubts about the project. The British public opinion has always, from the start, been amongst the lu- most lukewarm about membership of all the member states. So it's a long-standing opinion. What has changed in the last couple of years? We've always had the weakest sense of European identity. We've always been the people that had the most doubts about membership and whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. I would add to that the fact that with the Maastricht Treaty that came into effect in 1993, we had the birth of a real political movement that was committed to either rolling back European integration or leaving because it supplemented the single market with all sorts of political stuff. Mm-hmm sort of rallied opposition. So this 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 unease, this uncertainty, this dislike goes back a long, long way. Uh, what I would say is that it started hardening into a movement around leaving uh, as UKIP gained prominence in the 2000s and in the run-up to David Cameron's Bloomberg speech where he announced his decision to call a referendum. We will give the British people a referendum with a very simple in or out choice, to stay in the European Union on these new terms or to come out altogether. How did we get to a point where former British Prime Minister David Cameron wanted to call the referendum? Well, essentially the referendum was called for reasons of uh, internal party management of the Conservative Party. Your party is divided in Parliament, people are threatening to leave your party, UKIP was becoming a serious threat So all those pressures led to David Cameron thinking, how do I deal with this? One way to deal with it would be to offer a referendum. So is it a bit of a game of chicken? He was trying to head off a far-right group. Everyone expected there to be another coalition government in 2015 with the Liberal Democrats, and that therefore Cameron's uh, referendum promise was cheap talk because it meant that he could simply negotiated away in the coalition negotiations with the Lib Dems. I'm fairly certain that's what Cameron thought. Uh, Ironically enough, his promise of a referendum was one of the reasons why the Conservatives won a surprising victory. Okay, so there's paradox upon paradox here. Uh, And of course, once he'd won the election, then he had to go ahead with the referendum, which is one I don't think he he certainly didn't want to do, but he also didn't think he'd have to do because he didn't think he'd be in a position of having a majority in 2015. Amazing that that's brought us here. And the vote in that referendum came down to a hair. Has public opinion really changed um, in the last two years? Or if we held a vote again today, would we see a major difference in the outcome? First and foremost, no, public opinion hasn't shifted much at all. There are lots and lots of polling of polling going on in the UK at the moment. But if you look at the poll of polls, which aggregates all of them, the situation at the moment is roughly 53, 47 against leaving. The vast majority of that switch, and I think this is a crucial point, 
is made up not of people who've changed their minds, but of people who either didn't vote in 2016 or couldn't vote because they were too young or because they've become UK citizens subsequently or whatever it might be, now saying they'd vote Remain. There's very, very little evidence of people having changed their minds. Interesting. So it's not that people feel that they were duped with false information the first time round and have subsequently reassessed uh, their position. It's very hard to convince someone they were conned. I mean, I think this is one of the problems of the second referendum campaign in the UK is going around saying to people, listen, you poor simple soul, Mm -hmm. you were conned. I wasn't because obviously I'm a lot cleverer than you are, (laughs) you know, but you have a chance to try again. It's not the best way (laughs) persuading people to change their minds. Yeah, not the best politics, perhaps. So just explain why this is considered such a terrible thing in some circles. What are the biggest problems with the UK leaving the EU? I suppose ultimately the the, the argument in favour of continued membership that was made all the time was that membership is the best outcome for the British economy. It will make trade with the European Union more difficult. Now, what that means in concrete terms, it's important to be clear about. It doesn't mean that we're going to fall off a cliff. It doesn't mean our economy is going to contract. It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have a recession. What it means is our economy will grow less quickly than it would have grown had we been in the European Union. Not all the British public look at comparative growth charts in the Financial Times. So <laughs> if, if, if the economy keeps growing, in a sense, it mitigates the impact. And most people aren't aware that it might have been growing faster if we remain in. And what will actually happen on the 29th of March? Well, I don't know, is the simple answer. And actually, I will reassure myself by saying no one knows. I mean, the beauty of British politics at the moment is that we face a whole host of outcomes, all of which seem massively implausible, but one of them will happen. Uh, So I suppose the outcomes are Theresa May's deal gets approved. Uh, and you could split that up. It might be approved first time, second time, third time. It we doesn't get know. approved and we end up leaving the European Union with no deal at all, which would be very bad indeed for the British economy and for British politics. It doesn't get approved and we end up having a general election, which then either continues with Brexit. I mean, that's just an endless series. I can go down that line if you want. But the final one is that we end up having a second referendum. We don't leave. It seems to me that broadly speaking, they are the four options. Does that last one seem likely at all that there would be another vote? Again, the beauty of British politics is everything seems unlikely and everything is possible. There is no obvious favourite now. We're pretty confident that Theresa May's deal will not get through the House of Commons when it's voted on on Tuesday. Right. Above and beyond that, we don't know. Hey, Rebecca, I've got a joke for you. Oh, God, another one. Okay, I'm ready. What's the difference between an Irish exit and a British exit? It's not mm. my joke. I found it on Twitter. <laughs> um, well, I know what an Irish exit is. Mm. Well, it's isn't that when you leave a party where without saying goodbye? Yeah, that's the one. Right. Okay. And a British exit is when you announce you're leaving the party, you storm out of the room, then come back into the doorway and go in and out between the party and out the door while complaining angrily the whole time. I love that joke. That's perfect. <laughs> So earlier we heard from British citizens who've been living in Germany long enough that they were able to take up citizenship. But what happens to all the other British citizens living in other countries around Europe? No one knows. I mean, you yeah. know, people have children, mortgages, businesses, they, they put down roots and then, you know, everyone's in a quandary as to what's going to happen to their lives. 
in the event of a no deal where Britain goes crashing out with any kind of agreement, Germany basically said that British citizens will be allowed to stay in Germany while they sort out exactly what their new status is going to be. It's not clear what it will involve, but it would be a third country national status, um, meaning not the same kind of rights that you get if you're a European Some state. kind of Brexit refugee visa. Totally. <laughs> refugee. <laughs> Heard it here first. Um, I don't think it's original, actually. <laughs> A deal or no deal. Does anyone know that game show, deal or no deal? Deal or no deal. Terrible show, terrible politics. A deal or no deal is just around the corner. British Parliament is set to vote this week, as you heard earlier. Keep your eyes on the developments in the next few days because it's going to get ugly. Being British, for me, is little habits that that do mark you out. I drink black tea with milk about a thousand times a day. I think being German is coming from a much flatter society. Um, And I think that's actually been a major relief for me in Berlin, not having city boys wave their fucking wads of cash in my face. It feels a little bit like the memes that you see about people being proud of being Canadian um, in terms of having a functioning social state, in terms of respecting the rule of law, in terms of being reasonable about looking after weaker people in the society. And those things are really important and they're not sexy and they're not funky, but they're part of a kind of generous society and Germany is wealthy enough to be generous and I think that's really important. This podcast was made possible with support from the School of Culture and Communication at the University of Melbourne and Bear Radio in Berlin. Audio production by Henning Goll. Cover art by Angelique Kering. Unoriginal jingle by GarageBand. Produced and hosted by us, Claire Richardson and Rebecca Ritters. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>